Welcome to Continuing the Conversation. I'm Carla Muzu. I'm Glenn Collins. And I'm Megan Kirk. Fost Church is a community creating space for everyone to find hope, beauty, and purpose in the story of Jesus. Continuing the Conversation is one of the ways that we're trying to create space for an expanded dialogue and interactions based on the conversations we're having at Fost Church. The book of Genesis takes us from the primeval Adam to Adam and narratively carries us through some of the most formational stories of our faith. So many of us grew up hearing these stories in ways that captured our imaginations as children, but left us wanting as we began to engage them critically. Over the next few weeks, our community will engage in a conversation that takes a fresh look at these ancient stories to create space for them to be subverted and reimagined as they offer us a new way forward. Our stories shape us, giving our imagination material to dream about possible futures. However, there are times when other people assume the right to control our narrative and delimit our hopes. This is what happened to Eve. The church fathers, men in the early church, used Eve's story to inhibit a woman's ability to lead within Christianity. Join us as we walk through Eden to discover Eve's wisdom through the voices of her daughters. And so before we step into our three questions, head, heart, and hands, we'd like to take a moment to be able to us mention anything that's stuck in our mind since that service, uh, the message, or the shared stories that's caused us to reconsider to think. Megan, why don't you, why don't you jump in first? Hmm. Um, there was a lot. Um, I definitely, after the message, there were so many little tidbits that I felt like I could chew on and think about for a long time. Um, something that Glenn mentioned uh, was the idea that there there was no subordination in the creation story. Um, and I like the way he phrased it that uh, the incomplete uh, part of creation that was Adam on his own. Um, and that when Eve was brought into the picture that it wasn't just a helpmate, but that um, her creation is also his creation. And I thought that was just such a beautiful metaphor of both the individual purpose of both the, both Adam and Eve, but also their interdependability. Um, and really focusing on the idea that just because she was second, she wasn't, um, any more diminished or minuscule, but she was her own person um, and she was essential for Adam. So I thought that was really beautiful and I love the way you worded it, Glenn. Well, I must say um, that was a direct quote from one of the daughters of Eve that I quoted. Mm -hmm. So in that really eloquent moment, it was only because I was copying somebody verbatim. That's okay. Um, but she was, yeah, um, those ideas were brilliant from her. I'd say where it pushed me in those moments as I got to go through the research um, mm. was the fact that I didn't realize, because often we talk about some of the debate goes over who named Eve, and that goes into the conversation of subordination. But as I was going through the notions of naming, it dawned on me that actually God named Eve because he said, I'll, I'll make you a, a helpmate. He gave the first epithet. He gave the, the first way of her knowing, which in, as we know in ancient storytelling, your epithet, um, what goes after your name is just as important, if not more, about who you are. So her as the the caretaker, her as the one who um, is the rescuer, is the way God named Eve 
before man had a chance to say that she's the fountain of life. Mm. That's good. That's, that's good. Yeah, I think like the part that, that really stood out to me from the message was that like it was it was a mixture between the way that the author of First Timothy misread the story intentionally in order to create subordination within the text, right? That like the way that Glenn walked through the text seemed actually fairly natural to the actual story. Like when he highlighted the points of the story, it wasn't like, dude, you're you're reaching there. It was really like no, that's 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 the text. You're 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 highlighting the parts of the story that have been truthfully muted because we tend to read the story through the lens of First Timothy, right? We mm -hmm. tend to to take First Timothy back to Genesis and say, okay, now do all the damage that you want to do here, and I think that was the part that really stood out to me the most in, in the in the mix of that, um, especially like the language and Eve was the one that was deceived and, and things like that, but like there was mutual deception in the mix of that, but mm -hmm. so it was and but at the end of it. Um, when, when, when Glenn brought the story to a conclusion, Eve was the one that spoke the truth. Eve was the one that accepted her role in the thing. Like, she's like, this is just what happened. This is, you know, versus Adam was like, well, it was the woman you gave her to me. It's not my fault. Uh, and I really appreciated like highlighting the point that like, at the end of the day, Adam was the one that actually faltered, especially in, in the mix of, okay, like, like, you know, I would, how do I put it? Um, in the Garden of Eden, like like if they didn't know the right the difference between right and wrong, um, listening to the serpent, being deceived, like these are these are things that like it's like it's understandable. Like there's a sense of mm -hmm. innocence of well, you, they, he told me to do this, I yeah. told you not to do this. I didn't know listening to both of you guys was wrong. You know you know what I mean? Like there's there's a certain sense of innocence I think that, that comes into the interplay in the narrative. Um, but once they once they are awake, once they once they do know right from wrong, it's 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 Adam that is the one that is fully leaning into this sense of blame shifting and it's not mm -hmm. my fault and Eve's the one that says like okay like yeah this happened I own it here's my role um, now now, now, where do we go from here and I, I really appreciated highlighting that part because I think it was so muted based on the fact that people have always read Genesis within the tradition I grew up in mm -hmm. primarily from the lens of uh, of uh, First Timothy first right so well, and yeah. at least for me it was always in the sequence of oh um, it's repetition so once Adam blamed, then Eve must blame. She's just a different version of Adam. Mm -hmm. So when you notice that she actually named something real, it definitely um, is a good shock to the story. Yeah. And I have to say, one of my favorite things is when I got to study Jewish folktales, um, my professor, uh, Carol Fontaine, pointed out that some rabbis actually talked about this story as God being a parent who didn't understand you don't leave babies by themselves. <laughs> so they fashion um, some of the rabbis talk about God like a young father who wasn't used to taking care of the toddlers. So he's like, man, I'm going to go outside for a minute because they're stressful. And when he comes back, he's like, oh, what did you put your foot in? Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think that's a great point. Like, because like there's definitely that moment of God returning and be like, where are you? And like you could almost like honestly, like you could almost like translate that into like an analogy, like a temporary, a contemporary analogy, mm -hmm. like when a parent misplaces their kid at a, at a grocery store, right? Mm -hmm. And they happen to be one aisle over, and they're they're like freaking out for that moment. And I could almost see like that, like God doing that, like okay, Adam, Eve, where where, okay, where are you guys at? I I, I put you right here. <laughs> Where'd you go? <laughs> see, I always That's heard so it true. once I heard that once I heard that rabbinic story. To me, it was always when I've been with parents who suddenly it goes quiet. And like, oh no, no, Johnny, what are you getting into? It's quiet. Quiet isn't good because they pull off and yeah. they hide. So he's like, it's way too quiet to be okay here. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I haven't thought about it that way. I I'm trying. I'm having flashes of every time I've heard this story growing up, and I, the first flash, as we were talking earlier, was I remember seeing some video of the creation story, and seeing Eve have her little like convo with the serpent, and then Adam's never there. He's mm-hmm. never pictured, even though when you look at the text, you you, you know he's there. Mm-hmm. Um, but Adam's always doing the right thing somewhere else. He's chilling with the animals. He's chilling on some shore somewhere. Um, and she comes and brings it to him and like re-deceives him mm-hmm. instead of him being present. So I think that's a really important image, but I like that yeah. story as well. I've always pictured them and I feel like the story has always been painted to me a certain way that Adam and Eve should have known better, mm-hmm. that they, they had the smarts, they had the know-how to, they should have just been obedient. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's some common sense that's being used. There's some logic that is being used to say, oh, isn't this a good thing? This, I guess this would be good. I, I guess I'd want to be this. I, I'd be a fool to say no. Um, so I think that's a really interesting point. I like how you pointed that out with and that story. You bring up something that didn't, didn't even dawn on me until you're saying it, that Adam is always so far removed is um, when I was raised, it also came with that joke that that Adam would be away, so Eve was deceived. And it's always Mm -hmm. a man telling the story. And he says, and well, you know, the first perfect woman is naked, walks up to you with food. What are you going to do? Say no? And so it turns into a completely um, sexual object moment. It's like, well, she's too hot to think. So not only did she deceive him, but her beauty is a weapon. Yeah, it's not his fault. No, no. It's like there's a naked woman in front of you. Men don't have responsibility for actions. Yeah. Hmm. yeah yeah there's just there's just so many you know so many ways that the way that story has been told is is just wrong right like yeah and it is and it's interesting like because i've talked with people throughout this week and everybody really resonated was it was like man there was a sense of liberation in in hearing the story that way and even talking about it after but what they wrestled with was like it's like as they've sat with it, it was like, but I've been told such different versions of that mm-hmm. narrative, um, mm-hmm. and they don't, and they, and they're no longer making sense to them. And it's like, like they're seeing all the po- all the plot holes in the way that the stories were, were retold, um, right. and then reread. And like, I know one person hit me up and asked after, they're like, I went back and I reread the story like thirty times because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't missing something that is like well, no no it's like everything that you guys talked about it was just walking through the text and actually just bringing out the the actual elements in the narrative and it's like it made so much more sense to me than anything i would ever been told i just accepted it because that's what i've been taught since i was like three years old in right. sunday school really yes really <laughs> oh, that's awesome that's really good so i just um it at least that's my favorite part about us being able to be storytellers and um, try to create is when something shifts just a little bit and causes everything to shift with it. Because mm-hmm. I know that what's been people have responded to me is um, trying to get comfortable in the idea that if Timothy did a bad reading of Genesis, or we can at least say we disagree with Timothy's reading, yeah. then what do we do with this text that we've always been taught sits over us? It's a yeah. master to our servanthood rather than a dialogue partner for our wisdom. And that's yeah. at least what I've heard from people is... They're like, okay, no, that sounds really good. And we like Genesis more now, but wow, I have to own my tradition now. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Yeah. I think it 
that's that's the goal in many ways is to step into the story and, and not just step into the characters that we're used to stepping into mm-hmm. um but stepping into the ones that kind of don't get the main stage sometimes and it's just amazing what happens when you do that how it, it almost feels like an entirely different document an entirely different book with an entirely different message um, and I think so many of the stories within these books, if you just look for the character that you're not, you don't normally um, relate to and, and you see the story from their eyes, um, it, it really, you can, and you pull that into your real life too. You know, it teaches you how to see God speaking through the people we disagree with, through people who are not like us. And I think it's a vital exercise for our faith, for growing closer to God and growing closer in love with each other. Mm, I, I like that. That's really good. Um, yeah, I think like one, one of the things that, that I think about just in light of what both of you guys are saying in, in the mix of that um, is that that rethinking about how we hold on to it. And so every time I have an opportunity to, I love to quote this quote from John Caputo because it, it's something that is like, it's it's it was revolutionary in my own development and growth was that like, we have to learn how to own our tradition so that our traditions no longer own us. And mm-hmm. so like that idea, what Glenn was talking about, like the conversations that he's having, it's like, well, I have to now understand that like, what, like we don't sit under the text as if like, you know, we don't hold it up in, so, in, in a way that, that it, it becomes a, a master over us. I, I, I would even, I would definitely use like master slave language in mm-hmm. the mix of it. Because I think for a lot of us, mm-hmm. um, that's probably been the reality, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, Anytime we, we step out of line, the text is there to whip us and, and put us back in, in, into our place. Um, yeah. And it's been held as a weapon for, for, so, for so many people. And so, to, so that sense that when the Bible actually is used as a tool of liberation, um, something that invites us into the narrative, invites us to actually move closer to God, to, to, to hear the stories that um, have been used as weapons to be actual um, voices of, of liberation in the mix of it, uh, to me, it's just such a beautiful, to me, it's just such a beautiful moment, like, and, and yeah. to actually have people be able to, you can actually see them learning to own their tradition. Being like, mm-hmm. man, the, the Bible is a be- is actually this beautiful text of a mixture of conversations and and things like that, and 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 to begin to actually come back to it and reread it for the first time, in a sense, like with a new imagination, and they're able to see God in a new way. And for me, like that's such a beautiful thing. Like as as a pastor, as a leader in a community. Um, those are the moments I, I long for. Those are the moments I love to see. And we saw a lot of that this past Sunday. So that was really awesome. That's great. That's beautiful. Um, but about this time, uh, I'll just ask if anyone had any last thoughts before we transition to the head, heart, and hands. Okay. Well, now we're going to step into the head, heart, and hands questions, which are a way for us to organize our thoughts head questions are conceptually constructed. It, it's how we think the world functions. They're, they're higher minded. Heart are reflective questions to where we read it in light of our story. So we have ourselves dialoguing with it. And then we move in the hands questions, which is always the most important. Because when the structure shifts and we can have a moment to reflect or respond, we get an opportunity to start creating a new world, which is how we make it tangible in our hands. So this week in the head question, we said, Eve's story has been used to limit the role of women throughout the history of the church, inhibiting their ability to influence groups. How have you seen this shape or play out within your experience of the church? Well, Glenn, why don't you lead us into that question? Um, 
coming from a conservative uh, Pentecostal background, I saw it really play out because it justified a secondary um, role of all women. No matter how much skill they possessed, no matter how much wisdom, there was this notion that you needed a holy man, or as I often quipped, you need the holy penis over them. And without that, they couldn't function. So they could usually, and what always astonished me is women made the driving force of the churches I was raised in. They handled almost everything besides preaching and being the ushers. But then as soon as it came to a level of influence, he said, well, Eve, therefore you can't. And usually it was Eve through Timothy, therefore you can't. And that became a, a controlling matrix. And then unfortunately, when you have such a strong prohibition, the only women I witnessed step into leadership were usually abusive. They were um, overly aggressive and used manipulation. So we couldn't see the beauty of multiple leaders because we only had a few who would fight hard enough to get seen. And they usually used tactics that would be um, less savory. And that meant that the only thing you had in the back of your mind when you saw a female leader were the ones that were overreaching simply because we had used Eve to not allow anyone else place. When with men, we have a lot of examples of overreaching, of abuse, of manipulation. But since we have so many out there, you can say, oh, that was like 15%. 85% are still good, but those that's the only percent when you have such strong prohibitions that can get heard because you have to fight so vehemently to be seen that it is only that person that gets heard. And we missed out on so much wisdom because of it uh, like part of me when I, when I hear that story I I wonder how much like even your perspective was shaped by the things that you couldn't see based on the way that you've heard those narratives right so the fact that the woman was manipulative or cunning or whatever language um, and you saw them that way um, maybe maybe one maybe some of them were that way you know you know what I mean but at the same time like the language that's even being used, it's it's the language that's that's mixed into the narrative right mm-hmm. and so i wonder how much of it is is that unseen um nurture element like i was raised in it like you know the fish doesn't know what's wet kind of thing yeah, yeah um and it shapes the way that you can tell that story because that's all you knew as you encountered that that space right so I, it's just it's just something no. that pops in my head as as i hear that story that's that's very fair because yeah the stories were raised and shaped the way we can perceive the world um i would say at least for the few ex- um, ones that come to mind is the nature I'd say from my limited experience so only speaking from my particularity of the abuses that were had um, were pretty far reaching and damaging people needed counseling for so in those ones I'm going to just let it be them but I would say in a few of the churches I worked in after those moments um, you saw strong virtuous leadership potential that was ignored because they said, well, you're not right for this role, which the only thing that wasn't right was their gender. So I did grow to be able to see some of that. And you're right. Um, some of my consideration for what leaders I would follow were shaped by that narrative. I was like, I can't trust this because I've only known scary. Um, so I had no problem with you doing you just over there away from me because I wouldn't trust it after I experienced it about four times. Mm. And, and, you know, and just knowing your story and hearing your story and, and, and you know, knowing you for as long mm-hmm. as I have, and I won't say how long that is. Can um, we old? <laughs> um, I, I remember like sitting with you in conversations um, in your more early theological development as you were coming out of that spa- headspace. And like, the, like, like theoretically, it's like, yeah, like women are awesome in leadership. That would be great. 
Um, but then any time that you actually interacted with it, um, it was almost like a post-traumatic thing happening mm -hmm. with you because you would respond in certain ways. And I'm like, well, that's not really characteristic of Glenn. Yeah. Like, I, I don't really see Glenn act that way and it has nothing to do, nothing like, like act that way with, in any group. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, like something would remind you maybe or something like that. But yeah. I, I could see I could see it actually happen in real time. Um, and then moving forward to, like, to, to now where I see you offer deferential treatment towards women like saying like no like i actually need to step back i need to silence my voice i actually need to 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 to, to create space in order for women to to have more of a voice because i'm realizing your sense of privilege as, mm -hmm. as as a man in 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 this whole kind of church industrial complex that that loves men over you know that, that privileges yeah. men over everybody well truthfully privileges white men over everybody else even me. right and so you're you are at the, <laughs> the, the you're at the pinnacle of the church industrial complex mm -hmm. and everything else that happens with that so um, one, I was just saying, like, 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 I did ask. A, I think I feel mm -hmm. like I was, I was leaning in with a, with a certain question, but I also want to acknowledge the growth that I have personally seen, um, and hopefully other people have seen it as well with you. Well, and that's the beauty over time. Um, I think one of the most detrimental things I've seen in spiritual development is we try to always agree with ourselves. So if we said something stupid at eighteen, at thirty we're still like, yeah, but I said it at eighteen. I'm still going to stand behind it, rather than at least what's made me a healthier person saying, you know what? I recognize now that that was a dumb 18 year old thing to say. I didn't have a lot of good experience. Um, I could understand things theoretically. I didn't know there was a difference between theory and action between, you know, the idea of proposing, getting married. Those are different lived experiences and they affect the way you understand life. Um, and that's, been a blessing to me to be able to be freed from having to defend my old stances and just say, yeah, that wasn't very helpful or that wasn't healthy. Um, I'm trying to make a different stance now. And I hope that when I'm in my forties, I can look back to my thirties and still say, you know, you tried, like you had some good 30 year old decisions. They weren't great though. You can make better ones today. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. How, how about you, Megan? Any, any thoughts on that? Or oh, so many thoughts. Um, my brain is like going off into twenty different train tracks. I'm gonna try to commandeer one of them. Um, but I think the idea of um, any sort of group of people being put into a monolith or typecasted has been something I've been thinking about a lot lately, and I think it's. And it's something you, you talked about in your message a little bit, how there are these, these types of women that we often get put into these spectrums of like, you're either this or this, and you can't be anywhere in between. Um, and then if I've seen one person act this way, then all of them must be like this. And I think that is um, something that many groups of people uh, suffer with and groups of people that have power and privilege don't have to deal with that. So like one, one outlier, one lone wolf can be a bad person and can do all the bad things and hurt a lot of people along the way. But because that group of people has power and privilege, that lone wolf doesn't reflect on everybody else. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they still get judged uh, by who they are as an individual and their abilities are never questioned. Their authority is never challenged. Um, because of that one person who did something bad. Um, and I think that's, that's a system that's been uh, created specifically to keep certain groups um, in their place. Um, so they, 
you're either this or that. Um, and if I saw one person this way, then your credibility as an individual is it's shaken now because one woman acted this way because one person did this, then I can't trust all women to do this. Um, so it's just an interesting sort of dynamic that I think I've struggled with too, as well, seeing that, um, stepping into different places already, seeing the categories and labels that people are putting on you. And I know we all struggle with that reality in some different way. Um, but I think it's definitely true for women in leadership. Uh, they have to struggle to shed those sort of dichotomies that we're often placed in. Um, and I think there's a particular struggle too, because it's never just church culture that we're dealing with. Um, it's always a mixture of church culture and um, ethnic culture or whatever group that you're involved in, whether it's in your particular faith community or your home life. Um, there's patriarchy on both sides and it's, they're so intertwined together that it's hard. Um, you can address the church culture, but oftentimes people are bringing in their different cultural backgrounds into that that continue to reinforce that women fit this certain role and they're usually subservient, like, uh, I'm just here to prop you up. My job is to support your calling. My job is to support your work, support you at home. Um, I'm just sort of the reserve forces that keep you going. Mm -hmm. um, Even in our... Um, wisdom sayings uh, behind every successful man is a strong woman. Yeah, I was thinking yeah. the exact same it, line. It's like we, we make the cute lines and I'm really glad you brought that up because often we'll blame church or religion and say, see how backwards it is and yeah. we'll free ourselves from saying, actually, um, some of the ways the church structure is fed out of the social narratives that the church speaks out of. Yeah. Um, I got to meet a brilliant uh, woman who was doing her postdoc work uh, at Harvard. And I asked her, I was like, oh, wow, because in my assumption was in such a high level of education in a Mecca like Harvard, obviously mm -hmm. social narrative isn't gonna be as strong here. I was like, so tell me about it. And she goes, well, I'm still biding my time. I was like, what do you mean? Like, you were top of your class, you just got your PhD under a brilliant scholar. What do you mean you're biding time? She goes, well, I'm a black woman. She said, if I come in too strong for the first month, I'm going to be the crazy black woman. She said, so I'm letting everyone get used to me at the table. She's like, mm. I probably have about another three weeks because some of them are nervous mm. before I can make a statement and not just applaud some of their good points. Yeah. And it blew my mind because in my head, I was like, no, this doesn't exist at such a high level of education. This mm. is the most brilliant reflective people ever. Yeah. Of course they could just hear the voice. Yeah. That's, That's hard. There's this um, innate sense of, I, I, I'm sure, again, all women are not a monolith. So mm -hmm. this, the, the experiences we talk about, it's not going to be reality for everybody. But I know that many women walk into spaces already thinking about how they can prove themselves, mm -hmm. thinking about how much credibility do I have in this space? Um, you have to immediately identify who's who's your ally, who's not your ally. And you have to think about every word you say, the way you and everything you wear, every move you make, every your body language, all of it is continually being you're thinking about how it's being interpreted to make sure that 
someone doesn't take you the wrong way or someone doesn't put you into this category that's going to have them not pay attention to you anymore. Um, so it's this constant struggle that I know many minority groups also face this fact, but I think especially when that minority group and being a female overlap, that's it's a really hard um, and sometimes overwhelming place to be. Well, that's, that's a great point that you brought up because like, um, I remember reading through, uh, oh man, I'm blanking on her name now. She wrote The Black Christ, Kelly Brown Douglas. Mm -hmm. Kelly mm -hmm. Brown, yeah, Kelly Brown Douglas. And she was just kind of just like talking and giving a little bit of a primer on like the need for womanist theology versus just like, why can't you just be black theology as well? Right. And yeah. she's like, no, they're, well, because like black theology is already is critiquing dominant culture in one way. Um, mm -hmm. And then womanist, womanist theology is critiquing the critique. Of, of of that dominant culture because there there it's two levels removed in a sense right and it's there's a yeah. there's a voice that that needs to be like there's there's an elevation of that voice that needs to come to the table as well and I think like so for myself I'm like oh as a black man I can relate a lot to what you're saying but then mm -hmm. all of a sudden like make that a, a minority woman and like it's it's even amplified further right mm -hmm. like there's, there's yeah. we almost have this hierarchy of who gets to be listened to within society with a white man at the top and let's let's move ourselves down the rung um, mm -hmm. but at the same time like we need to actually create those spaces we need to to, to create vehicles in which voices are, are are elevated and other voices are actually muted at times uh not not necessarily permanently but as part of the whole notion of creating space right like because i think we would be less than if we lost uh, white males at the table, um, but let's be yeah. honest. Like, there's a certain level of where they're so used to talking that mm -hmm. unless there's like, okay, we're gonna hit the mute button for now, um, it, no other space can be created. Kind of stuff like that, yeah. right? So I think mm -hmm. there's there's it was, it, I think it's a great point that you're bringing up there because I really I can resonate with that from as being a, a my, like you know being a ethnic minority, um, mm -hmm. but then also realizing there are places where I need to like, okay, Carl, you got to just shut up and listen because you you also walk with a certain sense of privilege. In the mix yeah. of that. Yeah. And good. Um, if anyone's listening and you're thinking that sounds awesome, look up things about intersectionality, which is a, an area of study that they try to say, how do these things cross over into each other? And it touches on social systems, um, gender identities. It says different parts of how we're labeled and understood intersect with culture differently to be able to give us place in society for who could speak. Yeah, and this is where I wish one of us had kind of that like picture memory thing. It's like, well, yes, and this book right here, I could recommend it for you. Yeah. But I don't have that ability. I'm like, I've read so many great books on that. Which one of them? I don't know. Hey, I was doing the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I've been watching Criminal Minds and the character on there, Dr. Reed, he has mm -hmm. this memory where he look he looks at a book and he can remember it for the rest of his life, I guess. And I was like, oh. I wish that existed. That would be beautiful. Yeah. That is the dream. Yes. Um, so going to the second part of the head question. I don't get a chance to answer, bro. I thought you did answer. I didn't answer, man. Well, my apologies, good sir. Wow. Well, let's see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I don't, I don't have actually have a whole lot to add to that. Um, but I, I did want to highlight one thing, though, for myself, that it was interesting growing up. Like with my mom as a pastor, so I grew up in in a place where somebody that was 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 a strong female leader, um, 
who's who's traveled the world, who's done these things. So I, like, I don't know. Like, I didn't grow up with that sense of seeing women with a certain limitation. Plus, I have two sisters, and so like my life was oriented around how do I empower the people that are like not not like empower the women around me, just empower the people around me. Like my family unit for a long time was just three other women and myself, and um, I think like on one side it 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 it, it kind of made it, it like as soon as I walked into environments where there was that kind of uh, pushback against, especially like in the, in the church context, where there's pushback mm -hmm. against women in leadership, it made no sense to me whatsoever. Um, but on the other side, it, I, I, I wish I was just better equipped in order to actually have a, have a, like to be a better ally, because it was almost mm -hmm. like, I, I, have, I have nothing to say here because I'm just so used to it. And everything yeah. you guys says, everything that you guys are saying is weird to me. Like it, like it just doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> yeah. um, but I actually had nothing to say to it. And so I wish that I'd actually spent more time um, growing up, actually learning how to be not just not just present with my with the women in my family, um, mm -hmm. not even just being ad, like an advocate for the women in my family, but learning how to be an advocate and learning how to be an ally to the like to women in general. Mm -hmm. Like, I just wish that that was part of my narrative growing up. So yeah. I, I don't I don't as I, said, I don't really have a whole lot to add, but I just I just know that even for 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 parents and, and for people now, I would say that are that are raising, you know, like 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 young young men, like or little boys that have become young men. Um, I think from the get go, it's really important to actually not just say like respect women or whatever like that, but actually talk about privilege with them. To actually talk about the ways that they need to use their voice and 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 space in order to not just encourage, but to uplift and to create space for. And and again, it's not that like men are like I like well men predominantly act as gatekeepers in culture. So we don't want to turn into the gatekeepers and again, and, and, but just learning how to remove yourself from the sense of having a power, like, 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 like disempowering yourself, not necessarily saying, well, I'm the gatekeepers, I can give the power to somebody else, but creating space for other, other voices to, to, to emerge in the mix of that. So, yeah. um, and I'd say something in that idea. Um, if you are learning how to become an advocate or an ally, just know you will be treated as odd yourself. So just, embrace that part of it that to pow to side with someone whose voice is not considered is to be then brought into question as whether your voice is valid mm -hmm. I, and i know speaking just as a white guy to where honestly i worked with a woman who had the same job for 15 years but because i was the guy guy people would walk in and she would say something they turned to look at me who'd worked there six months and say is she right never went the other direction if i said something it was gospel for them which just made mm -hmm. me laugh because like, seriously, guys, she trained me, um, yeah. but okay. It's like, as soon as you start saying, I will side with the one who's not heard um, because they saw you as one of them, you then become strange. You become questionable. Can I trust the voice who is no longer the assumed with me? Yeah. And so it will be awkward, but not as awkward as not letting your voice be heard ever. So suck it up. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing um, to note that being an advocate and an ally doesn't exactly mean that you're going to change anyone's mind with your power and privilege that you're using for someone else. Um, you will face criticism and backlash for it, um, and that's 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 part of your. It's a, there has to be a sacrifice to be a true advocate or ally, mm -hmm. um, but that it's it's also okay to. I know sometimes fear of not knowing how to be an advocate or ally. Even if you, like Carl was saying, he grew up in a very particular atmosphere that made, when he stepped outside of that, it, it was different. It's like you almost didn't know, like this, mm -hmm. this was a reality. Um, 
it's it's okay to make mistakes as an advocate or ally. It, it's a muscle that you have to grow and you practice and you get better. Uh, and sometimes you will even say the wrong thing or you won't know how, but we all have to start somewhere. And I think the worst part is being so afraid of not being it that you end up not doing anything at all. Um, but it's okay to kind of go through this ally advocate puberty where you're sort of just <laughs> growing into it a little bit. I think that's okay. Uh, I'm still in the awkward phase, I believe. <laughs> it's okay. Sometimes we're late bloomers. Sometimes we have like, <laughs> it, it goes into the 20s sometimes. Sure. It's all right. It's okay. My mom always said I was a late bloomer. I guess it counts on all points. <laughs> that's, okay. that's awesome. Um, well, <laughs> let's jump into the to the second to the next question then. Glenn, you got that in front of you? Yeah. So the next part of the head question is, how do we wrestle with First Timothy using Eve to delimit women? And Carl, since we almost forgot you last time, you want to step into this one first? You have the floor. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I, I was having a conversation earlier today and we were, we were actually talking about this message and we were talking about this part of it. And I, I think there's something that was, that's been helpful for me in, in, in the mix of this, because I think like, again, being raised in a tradition that says like, okay, you have to like, accept the whole right like all of this is is authoritative in a, in, in a in a very particular kind of way like in a slave master you know language um and so to question any of it is is tantamount to questioning all of it to say something might be wrong is to say all of it is wrong to say that the, that it's not that it's not harmonious is to say that all of it is 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 is, is wrong right and so the, it's quickly that people will say well you can't say that it's a slippery slope um and, 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 and something that, that was really liberating for me in the midst of that was reading different rabbis um, on the Old Testament. And, and, and I can't remember who said this, but it was, what was really illuminating for me was that like, like the Mishnah is the conversation that happens in between the words of the text, the spaces in between the words. And, and, and those spaces are, were, were, in a sense, were like divinely put there for the conversation to happen. And I was like, oh, that's beautiful. Because I'm like, when I look at my Bible, I see lots of spaces, uh, <laughs> you know, because I grew up with one of those Bibles with a wide margin. So I'm like, there's a lot of conversation that can be had here. <laughs> and and so I think like with First Timothy, I, I think like it's okay to, to, to wrestle with the notion that, okay, like, well, I was raised to think this, I was raised whatever, but there's a lot of space for conversation to be had. And there's a lot of space for me to say, I don't know what to do with this. Um, but what is not okay, actually, is to say, I don't know what to do with this. Therefore, I will still use it as a tool of oppression. Like, mm -hmm. that's the part that I have a hard time. Like, when, when, I, when I see when people wrestle with it, they just want to be quiet. They want to be silent because they don't know what to do with it. And in, in their silence um, is actually just helping to be complicit with the, the oppression and the way that they, they, those kind of passages have been weaponized. Yeah. Um, and, and, and again, like, you know, going to seminary and being in that, like I, I, I could jump into all sorts of textual criticism and different things or different ways that I've uh, engaged this passage of First Timothy or reasons why, like even before coming to the, like to more of the way that I land with it now, um, that it's like, like the way that, well, I would just say the way that I land with it now is that it's part of our received tradition. So we read it and we honor it as part of our received tradition, but we wrestle with it in the way that we would wrestle with any received tradition in, 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 in our lives, right? Like, like, you know, and some of those traditions are harder for us to wrestle with. Like if you come from a certain cultural background and there's certain cultural expectations from you, you know, of you, they're hard to wrestle against. But um, I would say we would be foolish not to wrestle with them just because they're hard. 
And, and so like that would be probably the way that I would I would try to coach people into having a better conversation with the text and saying that they're that they're, they're actually the when they read the text they are they they're stepping into the conversation they are part of the conversation conversation and their voice is valid at the table of that conversation. Yeah, that's good. Um, I think for me it, it's definitely kind of what I brought up similarly in on Sunday's time that we had together. Um, for me, I have to look at. I'm, I'm not, like you said, I'm not only wrestling with first Timothy, I'm especially with the way we've been taught to wrestle with that is to wrestle with all of it. And for me, it's particularly to wrestle with my view of scripture in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, that's where I, I always have to start because, um, my ability to interact with the text in first Timothy depends on how I, uh, determine and define what my abilities are to interact with scripture. How can and I, what is scripture? What, what does it mean that it's authoritative? Is it, um, what does it mean to question? Does that mean I can challenge? Does that mean I can end up at the end saying this is wrong and I don't think this is right? And it's, it's here as a part of the history of the church, but I, I don't hold to this. Um, it's, you have to give yourself permission to that, especially if you grew up in a very conservative um evangelical pentecostal sort of background where um the authority of scripture was one of the most like valued and well-held principles it's like this is almost above anything it's like the authority of scripture and it's um it being the word of god in a way that's irrefutable um it's that seeps into your mind and it will even if you choose to walk away from that sort of Christian culture, it, it, it follows you. It takes a long time to wrestle with that idea of scripture. Um, so that's where it would start for me. Um, and even if I was talking to someone else about it, that would be the first thing I would try to identify. Like, okay, where is this person with their relationship with these books? Like, um, I think for me, realizing in my education that one of the biggest things that helped me was realizing how, I think the word is, uh, I can never pronounce the word, I say it wrong all the time, but polyphonic or like multiple voices. Yeah. Um, the idea that there are multiple voices present in scripture and they're not all speaking in unison um, was really important for me. Um, and the, the giving myself permission to say that some parts of these, of these words are are they the word of God or maybe are they not? Um, I think it's, it's a really scary place to walk, but it's a conversation you have to have before you can, before you decide how you want to wrestle with it. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. Just, just real quick. Um, as you're describing that you're using like the language of polyphonic and unison, like these are like, you know, like settings, like as, as a, like a studio engineer kind of person, um, recording, um, I was like, oh yeah, I used to play around with all that kind of stuff, right? And so it's almost <laughs> like 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 the, the traditions that we came from, they auto-tuned the Bible, right? Mm. It's like it's like well, it's like a, a pitch correction, pitch correction, pitch correction, and all of a sudden now it's yeah. sounding now it's sounding like T Pain, you know, singing yeah. Genesis, right? <laughs> so what you're saying is, the originals would be like early hip hop, and what we've received is mumble rap. No, no, that's not mum, not necessarily mumble rap. It's more like T Pain. Like it's still, it's still, it's still good. Like, but it's just like, wow, bro. Like everything sounds exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm curious with 
when you said um, that you had to wrestle with your entire view of scripture, mm-hmm. just given the background you've come from, and even what you said for the intersectionality, um, a woman's right to name what the scripture is for herself outside of the mm-hmm. tradition had mm-hmm. to bring some internal tension. How did you, man, are you through that? Have you been able to manage it? Or is it still something that makes you a bit anxious on the inside when you're like, I can take some liberties, but then at least for myself, it comes to moments like, I hope no one sees me. Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, I think I'm I'm definitely in the middle of it somewhere mm-hmm. still. It's a very long sort of, I don't want to say battle, but it, that's kind of what it is. It's this continuous wrestling match um, that, that can last years sometimes because it's like thinking about how long I've been in, let's say I've been in communities where that's been the case for like 26 years. Like how, how long does, is it going to take you to kind of think through or think critically through um, some of those things? Uh, it's, it's very difficult um, because even once you move beyond this idea that the Bible is this absolute, very rigid authority um, and very, every word is strictly the word of, the word of God directly to you, um, there are so many different viewpoints on how it, it looks. There are, are so many different ideas and interpretations of, of what the Bible is. It's really difficult to even know, am I thinking for myself in this situation? Or I am I just kind of following all these ideas of someone said, this is the right way to look at it. Um, so I think I'm in this process of trying to find what, what my actual thoughts are. And I think mm. that can be hard sometimes um, if you're a woman who's grown up in, in cultures and churches that have worked really hard to silence your voice and make you parrot what the men are saying um it's really difficult to know what do you actually think um sometimes you may think that this oh this is my thought this is what i believe and then later on as you think more critically you realize you were just sort of you were doing the same thing again where you took an idea that you thought was the right one and you just said okay this is it um so that won't be the case for every woman but for me particularly it's learning what my own thoughts are and how to think critically so i'm still Mm -hmm trying to figure that out. Um, but I know that I'm not in the place I was before, if that makes sense. That's yeah. awesome. Um, I find myself in a similar place um, to where I can say intellectually, um, these kind of questions drove me into researching how does the Bible use itself? Um, it's called intertextuality. And then mm-hmm. I got introduced into the rabbis, into the openness of text. Um, as one rabbi says, when we enter the Torah, we enter the divine symphony. If it's saying just one note, it would be a very boring song. Yeah. Um, but I deal with this tension between my received tradition of absolute and the ability to create to where I'm kind of like that kid walking to the room that has the confidence to do it. But then when you go, Johnny, I see you, he drops everything because suddenly he realizes somebody sees him mm-hmm. like that. That's kind of me with it is I, I can move in confidence um, and with people close. But as soon as it gets to sometimes public setting, I can get a little nervous. Like I, I overqualify. I give you way too much research backing. Be like, I can, I can prove I'm not just being fast and loose and dumb. Yeah. I, I did my work rather than right. just saying, this is my reading. And that's, yeah. that's how I'm trying to wrestle through. What does it mean to see Timothy and say, those were your answers for then. Mm-hmm. And it's an open system that like Paul did with Hosea. 
I can get completely new meanings if I just, you know, break up the writings a bit. Yeah. That's good. Um, so we're going to jump into the heart question. And again, the heart question is asking that, like, where does this, like, where does this story intersect with your story? Right. And so we're asking more of a reflective question. And so the question is this, um, have you ever missed someone's voice, unable to hear what they are saying because you were trying to speak for them rather than listen to them? Um, Glenn's nodding his head right now. Uh, but I, I actually, I want, I want to jump into this first. I, I just want to say something like, it was interesting, even as we were shaping like this current series, conversation series that we're in for, for Genesis, um, Glenn and I thought we, we had brilliantly broken down the book. It was like, here, here's four simple movements. It all works together. And then it was like, hey, Megan, what do you think about this? Well, that's a really like male-centric perspective you guys have, right? And it was like, both Glenn and I just looked at each other like just dumbfounded. We're like, oh, dang it. That is, that, yeah, yeah, that's right. We forgot about women. <laughs> Maybe we're not quite as flawlessly enlightened as yeah, we thought. Like, I, I thought I was a progressive uh, feminist, but I guess not. <laughs> um, but it, but it was like, for me, that was just a actually really beautiful moment um, about also like just it's just a reminder of making sure you have representation at the table. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Because like we would have completely missed it. Um, like what we spoke, what we would have spoke about, probably it would have been good or whatever. But it was so much better because like you added your voice into that mix. And so I know I'm not directly answering that question, but I, but I like I almost, I cringe at the fact that what we would have missed in listening, like like what we would have not heard had you not been present at the table with us. So I just wanted to thank you for that, um, but also just say like just how valuable it's been for us as a community. Yeah, I think, um, I think that you guys carved out space for me to give voice. I think that's that's important. Like it, it's okay for missing the mark. Sometimes we're going to, we're all going to. Um, but if we are intentional to pay attention to people around us and to to push ourselves aside, to give space to someone else, that's, that's when the beauty is gonna come. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when the depth is gonna come. Um, so it's, it's really been a joy and you guys have, I've loved hearing it from Glenn's perspective. Like I know that there was this moment of saying, you know, oh, should a, should a woman be speaking this? Should a woman be giving this message? Um, and I appreciated Glenn's humility with that. But I think he, he, you did a great job. And I think it's, um, it's really about the posture of our heart is how we are using our skills and our ability to amplify and empower other voices. Um, so I think between this teamwork of everybody working together and all of the voices of people on Sunday, it turns into something really, really unique and beautiful. Um, I know for myself, that was a lot of fun to craft this message largely because um, I took it as a challenge. Um, I put my subtext as um, hearing the daughters of Eve and just for the nature of what biblical education is, typically you read a lot of old white men from some form of Eastern or Western Europe descent and they're usually you know old white men they're not mm -hmm. bad i like them i have a i have a lot of collection with them but this time i situated myself with about eight different women's voices so that i could sit in their reading and honestly such a different way to enter into the text because we speak from our particularity um so hearing their particularity and how the things could be nuanced was so just mind-blowing because it expanded me to hear and I'd say my experience in this heart question of have I ever not shut up so I didn't hear somebody's voice. It's like, I am a loud person. 
so many times. I'm a loud person who's a nerd. So I have made the unfortunate mistake with my wife when she was sharing her perspective. Like, oh, you sound very second wave feminist in this. You probably need to start getting updated on third wave feminism because this is the way it'd be framed now. So your feminism isn't feminism enough, even though it's from the female perspective, because really you're not including some of these new dialectics. And she looks at me right. like, did you just mansplain feminism and give me research? And I was like, huh. Possibly. Well, it's like, it's, like, it's from their lived experience too. <laughs> so, but it's like so concerned with the wider conversation that I've tried to answer for people because their particularity wasn't going to be heard unless it tied into that conversation. And it caused me to miss a lot of moments that fortunately I think I'm getting better at. But still, um, it's a habit that I have to try to pull back on. Mm. Yeah. How about you, Megan? How would you answer that question? Um, I, I think, yes, definitely. Um, there's probably been many moments. Um, but what, what particularly comes to mind, I think, is how it comes back to the idea of like my struggles with seeing people as a monolith. Um, and I do that with women a lot. I think, oh, because I have my own experiences, I can relate to you or I'll understand. I, I know I can choose the right words to describe what you're feeling. Um, and so often I've been put in my place by women from different cultures, different backgrounds, different upbringings saying, I'll go, oh, so you must have felt like this. I bet it felt like that. And they'll say, no, not at all. This was the issue for me. This is how I felt. Um, and I put how I would feel on top of them without actually asking them the question and allowing them, giving them an open-ended space to describe how they feel without my own sort of bias thrown in there or mm. my own perception. Um, so that's something I'm definitely working on. Um, instead of framing it like, oh, I bet you feel this way, even though it, it means well, but it, it kind of slams them into a certain mm -hmm. uh, response and trying to practice act asking more open-ended questions that allows people to actually answer things for themselves before I do. No, that's great. That's, that's, I think that's a great yeah. point. Like I think, cause even, even at, like as a community, one of the things that we have really wrestled with, um, cause there's a lot of well-meaning people in our community. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I don't think anyone has a malicious kind of intent to, to the kind of questions they ask, but it's really easy to fall into like coercive kinds of questions where like the way we frame the question is meant to elicit a certain kind of response. Right. So like, um, it's like, well, you've had this experience or you, like you've like, you know, you the, with the way that you frame that question, you're looking for a certain response. And when that response doesn't come back, it's like, oh, dang it. What do I yeah. do with this now? Um, <laughs> right. And sometimes we, we have the, the humility to just accept it and be like, oh, I asked a bad question. It was actually a poor question. Mm -hmm. um, and other times we double down um, in the mix of that. And so, like, I appreciate your heart in that because I think like it's definitely in line with like as a community, like these are the kinds of questions we want to ask. Like we want to create the openness. Like if I ask a poor question. I am so sorry. Correct yeah. me. Um, and then let's move forward together and, and, and create as much space as possible for people's voices. So, yeah. And yeah. I think you both point out something um, really important here is the silencing of voices, um, especially in this point when we speak, doesn't come from education or lack of education. Notice all three of us have been spent some time in school, but it's the ability to sit and actually listen to the person in front of you. Not to say that because of my reading, because of my research, um, because of similar life experience, I can say how you must have experienced this. But it really calls us to an incarnational moment to say, the person, the image of God in front of me, 
will be the one who can define their existence to me and I'll accept that in this moment. Yeah. That's good. All right. Any 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 kind of final thoughts on that question? No. All right. So yeah. the, the hands question and the, and the hands question is where we move into actual action. Right, where we go from kind of like the, the philosophical high-minded stuff in the head question to reflective in the heart to actual action. Like, what does this actually look like? And so the, the, the hands question is this. Genesis and First Timothy are two examples of telling Eve's story. How do we create space to listen to both while protecting the vulnerable in our community? Hmm. Uh, to me, the hard part is having both parts of the question there. Because typically the way we put it is a um, false dichotomy. We say we can either listen to both or we can protect the vulnerable. Yeah. Um, I think the challenge here comes in when we say we're going to listen to both, but where it separates, where it harms, where it does violence, that's where we're going to put stops on things. Mm -hmm. So it's still in dialogue. These are still part of our sacred tradition. We don't just throw away a page, but we judge ourselves and our readings by the tangible effects on another human. Mm. That's good. That's good. Um, yeah, I think this one, it, it's definitely harder uh, because there, I think like Glenn was saying, there are definitely boundaries that have to happen. Um, I think boundaries are healthy and there has to be a point where we draw the line and say, um, this is really hurting someone. This is dehumanizing someone. This is uh, um, not valuing this person's life and voice and experience. Um, but then not wanting to also just dehumanize and silence someone who contradicts as well is, is really hard. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a hard thing. Uh, it's a hard path to forge. Um, and it requires intentionality on both sides. It, it can't be a one-way street where one person is trying to create the space. Both have to be committed to treating each other with respect to hearing each other's sides, um, to finding the boundaries of where we draw the line before it, it hurts someone in a way that it, it shouldn't. Um, and then looking for the commonalities, like where, where what, what do we hold to together? What, what, do we believe together? What is a common goal that we can have together? Um, practicing those, um, asking those questions and identifying those things, I think will be very helpful, but it, it takes practice and intentionality for mm. sure. Oh, that's really good. Um, and I love, I love what you brought up about like boundaries um, because I think it like just in con again, conversations that kind of flowed out of the, the message from this, this Sunday, the conversation mm -hmm. from this past Sunday, um, just with different people that I, that I talked to, um, like they appreciated when people named the idea of boundaries being important, like the, the boundaries actually protect people in the community, um, mm -hmm. because like they've had so many kind of boundary lists conversations with people where, mm -hmm. um, people were allowed to run rough shot over them and mm -hmm. weren't held accountable for it because there were no named boundaries. Yeah. Um, and then even without going into any real detail, um, 
like one person's story where they're just saying like 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 they they like the, they they were hurt in the mix of a conversation because there was no boundaries and so they like mm-hmm. one person in the group just kind of ran you know they ran roughshod over everybody else in the group and they, and the group actually dismantled and so w- w- which was meant to be a healing space mm-hmm. um, became a hurtful space it, it just it just heaped on more hurt and more wounds to what was already happening and so I think that as like the way to answer this question for me was is like actually helping to teach good facilitation mm-hmm. um, to the community because I think everybody's voice matters, but unless we have people who are trained in actually facilitating the conversation, somebody's going to accidentally get hurt. Somebody's going to accidentally get muted, and it, it, it's never intentional. Like nobody intends to run roughshod over people, but it's going to yeah. happen if we don't actively facilitate healthy conversations. Um, right. I think something you pointed out there. Um within the facilitation is in this in this example women and eve were harmed due to patriarchal storytelling Uh, to create space for the vulnerable is as facilitators to make sure the vulnerable get to tell their story that um, we don't speak for them that it's it's a matter of here is how i experience and what we guard the sacredness of is their right to name their experience yeah because usually the violations come in when someone says you named your experience and I disagree with it. So your yeah. experience must be bad. I will correct it. Right. Rather than hearing the harm or the pain that was in the story of the experience. Yes. That's great. That's great. Um, well, we're, we're kind of coming up to that time where we need to wrap up. Mm-hmm. Uh, any final thoughts either on that question or, or any of the things that we've talked about today? Nope. Just want to thank both of you. I think um, both of your work in last Sunday, I think it was a really powerful and important time for the community. And this conversation, I think, will be the beginning of many conversations to come. That was really good. So thank you guys. Thank you. Appreciate that. Well, we come to the point of what we do. um, We talk a lot. So let's do a small summary wrap up moment. And just in case we talked enough that you're like, wow, I forgot to take notes. Um, I'm going to say three questions we had. The head is Eve's story has been used to delimit the role of women in church. How have you seen this shape or play out within your experience? And we had found that due to the social narratives and our religious narratives, that we create predictive patterns for where people can fit that doesn't respond to their ability to tear their story. So rather than allowing them space to define, we control the tracks they can go based on our assumptions about what is proper for that kind of person. As we went into how do we wrestle with First Timothy's use of Eve, we got into the notion that we remembered our own sense of struggle over identifying with what do we do with the Bible itself? What is authority? What is power? How do we dialogue and understand it? And from there, we can start better constructing a answer to that question because it's, it's out of our tension and struggle that we get better answers that lead to better questions coming into our own experience of the heart have we ever missed anybody's voice because we spoke too much and all of us gave a resounding yes and often we did it from the good intention of our ability to either relate to the person or study or try to help them define but where we missed it was because we didn't let them speak So where we miss the voice is not due to a lack in us, but an inability to step in humility to say that the human in front of us, the image of God in front of us, has a right, a purpose, and a beauty to name their own story. 
and stepping to the tangible moment of the hands? How do we sit between Genesis and 1 Timothy? And how do we create space to listen to both while protecting the vulnerable within our communities? And the really important takeaway we had was we must become good facilitators to give room to multiple voices that are not coercive while establishing clear boundaries based on tangible harm to humans. Because nothing we do is honorable to God if it defames the only image bearer in creation, which is humanity. So we go away with this challenge to establish healthy boundaries that enable multiple expressions of who God is to be present within our community. And as always, we appreciate you guys uh, joining in on the conversation. And we would love for you to be able to connect with us. And so you can find ways to connect with us at www.fos.church. That's www.fos.church. And when you type that in, uh, you'll find all sorts of ways to connect with us, whether it's uh, Sunday gatherings online or soap groups or just other ways that you can join into the conversation. And uh, with that, peace.